0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as a country, Canada is greatly in debt. When preparing this sermon, I checked the debt clock, and it showed that our national debt is one trillion two hundred and twelve billion dollars. Our debt grows by four point six million an hour, by over one hundred and ten million dollars a day. Your share of Canada's national debt is. It's a huge burden. Currently, our government pays just under $47 billion a year in interest payments to service that debt. If the government wanted to reduce the debt, it it would have to not only get rid of the current deficits, but to run surpluses. It would require deep cuts to many of the programs and services that we currently enjoy. It's difficult for us to understand the magnitude of our national debt. We have a really hard time comprehending the value of a billion dollars. So perhaps it's useful to consider our personal debt levels. The average Canadian now owes more than $21,000 in consumer debt. That number does not include any mortgages. It costs thousands of dollars each year to service that debt. And paying it off is difficult for most people. Those who are caught in the debt trap know how crippling this can be. It often causes a lot of anxiety and stress. Why am I talking about debt levels in a sermon on the forgiveness of sins? It's because in the fifth petition, the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Striking that in the fifth petition, the Lord Jesus doesn't just talk about sins, He talks about our debts. Why does Jesus do that? Well, the reason is simple. We don't just sin a little bit. We sin lots. We transgress God's will for our lives in our thoughts and attitudes, in our words and our deeds, hour by hour, and day by day, and so our sins pile up. There are so many of them. We owe God a great debt, a debt that's impossible for us to pay. Does this matter? Is it a big deal that we cannot pay our debt to God? Yes. What we need to understand, beloved, is the cost of our debt. Our sins offend God. He's angry about our sins every day. If we don't deal with our sins, they pile up. If we live in our sins without repenting of them, our debt becomes an obstacle to living in communion with the Lord. It's the same in our personal relationships. If you sin against someone and that sin is not confessed and repented of, it makes others angry and frustrated and bitter and resentful. We cannot enjoy fellowship with one another when our sins are not dealt with. Our sins are serious. Because they're relationship destroying, that is why Jesus taught us to pray for God's grace to forgive us our debts, and for grace to help us forgive those who have sinned against us. I preached to you God's word under the following theme: In the fifth petition, Christ teaches us to pray for the forgiveness of our sins. Christ teaches us To confess the great debt that we owe God, so that we may also forgive those who have sinned against us. One of the problems that we as Christians face is that we're good at seeing the sins and shortcomings of others, but are often blind to our own wrongdoing. The Lord Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount when he spoke to the people about how they judged others. He asked, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Often we can be clear sighted in identifying our brother's or our neighbor's sins, yet we're not always aware of or willing to acknowledge our own faults. Why is that, beloved? Is it simply blindness? that we're unaware of our weaknesses and sins? Or is it pride, that we're not willing to acknowledge sins that are obvious to those around us? Why are we so often in denial about the major flaws in how we live in relation to God and our neighbor? Are there certain aspects of your character or life you don't want to deal with? Because it's too hard? Because you don't know how? Sin is a reality in each of our lives. It's a sad reality. It's often depressing to consider how often we fall into the same kind of sins. We don't like to look into the mirror, to see a weak and flawed reflection looking back at us. By nature, we are proud. We like to think well of ourselves. We want to be self-sufficient. And beloved, our sins get in the way of that. It's why we often tend to gloss over our sins or to make excuses for them or to blame them on someone else. It's hard, day by day, to take personal responsibility for the way in which we have offended God by our sins, It's hard to be humble, to acknowledge our wrongdoing to those who have been hurt by our sins. This afternoon we read part of Luke 7 about Jesus' visit to Simon's house. Simon was a Pharisee. He had invited Jesus to come in and eat with him. We know quite a bit about the Pharisees. They spent a lot of their time in Bible study. They were experts in the law. They loved to engage in debates about it. They believed that to be saved, you needed to live your life in conformity with the law of God. Besides the law given through Moses, they developed many traditions that they expected the people to keep. Many of the Pharisees were proud men. They considered that they were living their lives in accordance with the law of God. They looked down on the people because many of them did not live up to the standards that they had set. Simon was a typical Pharisee. We see it in the attitudes he had toward Jesus and toward the woman who entered his home when she found out that Jesus was there. Simon judged them harshly. He considered them to below, to be below his standard of righteousness and holiness. Simon judged Jesus for allowing this woman to touch him. She wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed Jesus' feet and anointed them by pouring a f- an alabaster flask of ointment over them. Luke 7.39 says that when Simon saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So he judged Jesus for allowing the sinful woman to wash and anoint his feet with oil. Simon was also judgmental of the woman herself. She is identified in our text as a woman of the city who was a sinner. This woman was well known in that place, and she had a bad reputation Our text does not specify what her sin was. Perhaps she was a petty thief. More likely, she was a prostitute. Supported by the fact that Simon has great difficulty with the fact that this woman was touching Jesus. In Simon's eyes, this woman's lifestyle made her unclean. By touching Jesus, she was transferring her uncleanness to him. And Jesus wasn't doing anything to stop her. Simon simply couldn't understand it. He would never allow this woman to come anywhere near him. Yet Jesus, whom the crowds considered a great prophet, did nothing to stop her. The situation is a clear example of someone with a log in his own eye trying to take the speck out of his neighbor's eye. As a wise teacher, Jesus needed to show Simon that it was not this woman who had the real problem. It was him. So Jesus, in his typical fashion, asks a question. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? To us, that might seem like a dumb question. Of course Simon had noticed her. She had come into his house uninvited. Simon was quite perturbed. He didn't like her intrusion at all. He was irritated with Jesus for not telling her off and for not getting rid of her. She had no right to be there. She was disrupting their meal. How could Jesus ask him, do you see this woman? But Jesus asked his question with intent. He knew Simon had noticed her. Just imagine you're reclining at table with a group of people and suddenly someone uninvited and unwelcome walks in. Every eye would have been on this woman. Everyone would have been staring at her. Simon and his friends were probably glaring at her. Jesus knew Simon had judged her in his heart. Simon would have considered this woman to be a loser, a reject, a hopeless sinner. But Jesus wanted Simon to look at this woman with new eyes. He wanted him to re-evaluate his perspective on her. Jesus tells Simon a story to explain to him the difference between him and this sinful woman. Jesus speaks about a moneylender had two debtors, two people who owed him money. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. A denarius was a working man's wage for one day. So these amounts are significant. When they had nothing with which to repay, the moneylender freely forgave them both. And then Jesus asked Simon another question. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. Jesus told him he had answered correctly. Jesus wanted Simon to truly see this woman for who she really was. Not just in a relationship with the people of her town, but in the first place in her relationship with God. But for Simon to be able to do this, he first needed to see himself in a different light. Simon was a proud Pharisee who thought that all was a-okay with him. In his own mind, he felt as if he lived according to all God's commands. He felt he was deserving of God's approval because he was a righteous and a holy man. Simon did not see himself as a sinner in any way because he was unable or unwilling to acknowledge his own sins He was unable to deal graciously with this sinful woman. So the Lord Jesus draws Simon's attention to the actions of the woman who had entered his house. Jesus does so by contrasting her actions with Simon's. Jesus points out that while Simon had not even provided water for him to wash his feet, the sinful woman has washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. While Simon gave him no kiss... This woman has not stopped kissing his feet since the time she came into the house. Simon did not anoint Jesus' head with oil, but the woman who has anointed, but the woman has anointed his feet with fragrant oil. The bottom line is, while Simon wasn't much of a host to the Lord Jesus, this woman that he looks down on has shown forth her love for Jesus in a special way. By means of this comparison, Jesus wants to show Simon he was not the perfect man that he thought he was. He wanted Simon to come to see his own sins. Jesus wanted to teach Simon to see himself through the eyes of God. Jesus does that by addressing Simon on the lack of hospitality he had shown him. In the ancient Near East, showing hospitality was considered to be a sacred duty, Because people walked on dusty roads with sandals on their feet, it was customary to have a servant wash the guest's feet, or at least to make water available before they reclined at table. We don't know what Simon's motives were in inviting Jesus to his home. Yet Simon's treatment of Jesus shows he had not invited Jesus to honor him, or because he was favorably inclined towards him. Simon did not welcome Jesus with a kiss or anoint him with fragrant oil. He was truly a poor host. He treated Jesus shabbily. Simon needed to understand his failings because he, before he could truly see the woman who had come into his house, Jesus looked at her with very different eyes. He knew That although she was a sinner, she was truly repentant for how she had offended God with her sins. Jesus saw her sorrowful tears. He recognized her desire for forgiveness. He experienced her loving care. He appreciated her devoted service. To Simon, Jesus makes clear what God's perspective on the sinful woman was. He said... I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And then turning to the woman, Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven you. Those at the table questioned, Who is this who even forgives sins? But Jesus turned to the woman and said to her, Your faith has saved you. Go and In peace. Jesus ministered to this woman with grace. As the Son of God, He forgave her all her sins. Jesus recognized she was truly repentant. That's why her debt against God was canceled. But what about Simon? He considered himself to be a good man. He was like the debtor who only owed 50 denarii. A much smaller debt in comparison with a sinful woman. But a debt indeed. We don't know if Jesus' visit changed anything in Simon's life. And ultimately, beloved, that's not what's important for us. The question for us is, Are we willing to take a close look at ourselves? How often aren't we like that Pharisee Simon, thinking that we're not really all that bad? Don't we tend to minimize our sins and to make all kinds of excuses for them? Don't we often look down on those who have fallen into particular sins? It's easy for us to have a self-righteous attitude. And yet, beloved, unless we confess our sins before God and pray for forgiveness, God will not pardon us, and we will not be saved Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. And so, beloved, let me encourage you to humble your hearts before God. Tonight, before you go to sleep, make a point of pouring out your heart to your heavenly Father. Lay before him all the things that you have done wrong. Confess the sinful motivations of your heart. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Be honest with yourself and be honest with your Father in heaven. When you pray for forgiveness, beloved, you can be confident. Do you know why? It's because your sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ. Paul writes about that in Colossians 2. He talks about us being dead in our trespasses and sins. We fully deserve to come under God's judgment and condemnation. For we've sinned against God in so many ways. We owe him this enormous debt, one that can never be repaid. Yet God made us alive in Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses Paul says that he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Beloved, when we come before God humbly confessing our sins, God will forgive us. When we pray, Father, forgive us our debts, we're approaching God's throne of grace. Our advocate, Jesus Christ, is there pleading our cause on the basis of the blood he has shed for us on the cross. God will certainly forgive all who come to him with a repentant heart. It doesn't matter how often or how terribly you've sinned. God will forgive us. Like he forgave the woman who came to Jesus in Simon's house. If we sincerely seek forgiveness for our sins from our Father, then we may take the words of Jesus to heart. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In the fifth petition, Christ teaches us to pray for the forgiveness of our sins. He not only teaches us to confess the great debt that we owe God, He does this so that we may also forgive those who have sinned against us. We deal with this in our second point. In the fifth petition we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It raises a basic question. Is it possible for us to forgive the sins of another against us? Isn't it only God who can forgive sins through the blood of Christ? How can Christ teach us to pray as we also have forgiven our debtors? Beloved, it is only God who can take away the guilt of our sins through the blood of Christ offered on the cross. Yet as people, we also sin and trespass against our fellow man. In the same way that our sins deeply offend God and cause a rift in our relationship with Him, so our sins against one another also damage, may even destroy relationships among us. Sin is serious. So often we put ourselves and our wants first, and we hurt others because we don't consider the effects of our words and deeds on them. If our sins against one another are not dealt with, If they're ignored or shoved under the carpet, they cause further hurt and frustration and anger and bitterness. That's why it's not enough to ask God to forgive us our sins. We also need to forgive those who have sinned against us. Do you know what it means to forgive your neighbor the sins he has committed against you? When God forgives our sins, he pardons us He promises to no longer hold them against us. Similarly, forgiving our neighbor means that we promise not to remember his sins against him anymore. That's not to say that we will necessarily forget what has happened. Sometimes the sins people commit against us hurt us to the core of our being. They may affect us for the rest of our lives. But when we forgive, we promise not to hold those sins against that person anymore. In the Lord's Prayer, Christ teaches us there's a parallel between God's forgiveness of our sins and our willingness to forgive our neighbor. We ask God to forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When our Catechism explains this, it says we are here praying for God's grace. We're praying for God to work in us so that we are fully determined, wholeheartedly, to forgive our neighbor. Beloved, this is the attitude that Christ portrayed when he was being crucified. He prayed for those who committed this grievous sin, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Similarly, Stephen prayed for those stoning him, saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In like manner, we are to be fully determined, wholeheartedly, to forgive our neighbor. We're praying for an attitude that is ready and willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. Yet forgiveness requires repentance. In order for God to forgive our sins, we need to repent of them. And the same thing applies with respect to our neighbor. How can a person's offense be taken away if there's no admission that wrong has been done? How can you promise not to hold someone's sins against him when the matter has never been resolved between you? The Bible is blunt in its teaching of how we are to deal with sin. In Luke 17, Jesus said, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. When are we required to forgive? When the person who has sinned against us repents from his or her sin. Such repentance involves sorrow, that sin has been committed, and a turning away from that sin. The Bible does not teach us to ignore sin or to paper over the consequences of sin. If we do so, we do so at our own peril. Those who are not forthright enough to deal with a brother or sister who has sinned against them will often have to contend with the attacks of the evil one instead. Satan will cause our hurt to develop into resentment or even bitterness. It will cause our anger to grow into hatred and into a desire for revenge. Small problems become big ones when we don't deal with them God's way. An unwillingness to confront a brother with his sin and so be reconciled with him will also cause our relationship with God to be affected. God is not pleased with our worship if our relationship with a brother or sister, is not right. Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Yeah, beloved, this can be so really hard. At times, the consequences of our sins can be great. Often others do not recognize the hurt and pain they have caused us with their sins. They may not realize that we've been pierced to the heart. Sometimes sins have lasting consequences that cannot be undone. Even if someone is willing to confess his sins and ask for forgiveness, it can still be so hard to do so. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray the fifth petition. To pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Beloved, if we truly know our sins, the great debt God forgives us, makes it easier to forgive our neighbor. Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul appeals to our hearts to remember how deeply we have been forgiven and how costly was the love that accomplished that forgiveness. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Patience. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We're called to forgive our neighbor out of love to God for how much he has forgiven us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's remember, it's only by God's grace that we are forgiven our sins. It's by this same grace, worked in us by the Holy Spirit, that God will enable us to forgive those who have sinned against us. God's grace to us and God's grace in us are inseparably linked. God is the one who can make us fully determined to wholeheartedly forgive our neighbor God is able to do that because he is almighty. And he's willing also because he is our faithful father. So let us continue to pray for God's grace to us and in us. Let us pray that he will forgive us our many sins and shortcomings. Let us also pray for his grace to help us forgive those who have sinned against us. Because it's then, beloved, that we will experience peace. Being reconciled to God and also to our fellow man. Having our relationships restored so we can live in true communion with God and our neighbor. That's the blessing that God promises us as a result of praying the fifth petition. Peace. Communion, fellowship with God and our neighbor. Let's continue to strive for that. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 103, stanzas 3 and 4.